We had a, a topic request on the, the sheet. <clears throat> uh, it said, Using God's Name. And um not exactly sure uh, what what the intent behind that was, uh, but we talked about, and, and Gary's going to follow me up, um, and Gary and I both had uh, lessons last year, uh, I think in the fourth quarter sometime, about the language we use, and, we, and, and in those lessons we talked some about, uh, you know, using words uh, that, that resemble uh, God's name and using that in vain and, and using the Lord's name in vain and how that's something that we don't need to do. Uh, and so I think Gary may touch on that a little bit more this morning in his follow-up. Uh, but for my class, uh, our, our sermon, we're going to look at it from a little bit different angle and really just look at uh, God's names, God, the names used for God in the, in the Bible mostly in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, and, and look at some, what some of those names mean uh, and realize that uh, the names used for people, uh, in the Bible especially, um, meant something. And so the names that are used for God carried meaning. Uh, I think today we don't really, in our culture, the names we pick, you know, uh, when you're going to have a baby or something, you may go through a book and, and look for names and uh, each name has a meaning by it, and sometimes you may pick a name because of what that name means, but you know, in our culture, we don't really think about that for the rest of our lives. And I, I think back then in Bible times, it was more of a reminder. And so uh, the names that, that are used in the Bible were to remind the, the Jews and the Hebrews of who God was and, and to remind uh, them of things about God and things that God had done and, and that type of thing. And so... I think it's good for us to realize that and, and be reminded of that. Uh, so when we use God's name and when we think of him, uh, we think of, of the attributes of who he is. A um, bit of a disclaimer, this is not my original material. I hardly ever use someone else's material, but uh, when we decided to do this topic, um, I got to thinking and look back in my files, and I had this PowerPoint uh, from... A good while back, and I I want to say I taught it. Uh, I was substituting for Brandon Klein at East Columbus, and so he may have put this together. I know I didn't, uh, so it's not my original stuff. All right, historically, uh, names carried meaning. That's what we were saying. Uh, if you think about it, uh, you've got uh, names like John Smith might have been a worker of metal. John Baker, a preparer of bread. George Duke, a Duke. John Longfellow, a tall fellow. Uh, Mark Lewis, big burly fellow. Uh, Evan Gregory, the hairy one. Uh, he's not here for that, but uh, names mean something. Uh, and so in the Bible, again, especially, they mean something. Um, it may be something about an event. Uh, a name may refer to an event. It may refer to a character trait. Uh, it may just point to attributes about who that person is. And so uh, you think about the name Adam. Uh, carries with it the meaning of red earth. You know, basically he was formed from the dust of the ground. Uh, the word Abraham or the name Abraham, a father of a multitude. And we understand 
you know, that that was basically the, the promises that was made to him. Uh, and and uh, ultimately, you know, the promise that was kept by God in reference to Abraham. And then uh, you've got uh, Jesus. If you read in Matthew chapter 21, uh, when the angel is talking uh, to Mary and Joseph about the baby Jesus, they said, you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to be the Savior for man. And so uh, the name Jesus carries with it this idea of Savior. <clears throat> if we look at God uh, and the names used for God, uh, there's a surprising number of different names used for God throughout the Bible. And and uh, all of these names kind of carry with it uh, different meanings. And so that's mainly what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we're going to learn about from these names, we're going to see things about God's nature, you know, who He is uh, as a character, uh, and about how He relates to us, His creation. Um, and and we're going to hopefully gain a better understanding of, of why we see verses like Exodus chapter 20, where it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, why is that? It's because He is our Creator. He is the all-powerful. He, he is uh, our sustainer. Uh, and so it's not something that we should uh, speak of lightly or in, in, in the wrong way. His name carries meaning. Um, <clears throat> the first name that we see in the Bible that is translated God uh, in the Old Testament is this word Elohim. Uh, and it occurs a decent amount of times in the Old Testament. And the word Elohim or the name Elohim carries with it this idea of strength, uh, a creative and governing power uh, by the Almighty who keeps His promises. And so when the, uh, when the, the patriarchs and, and the people of early times, uh, like Noah's time, when they would see this name Elohim, that's who they would have known God by. That's one of the names they would have uh, known Him by. And, and it's interesting to note uh, that it's this, this name... And, and the meaning behind it makes clear that, that this God is the creator and that he's the only God. Uh, he, it's the first word used uh, for his name, and, and it again establishes this idea that he is uh, the one and only God. <clears throat> uh, in, that, in that word Elohim, you may have seen uh, E-L, L, uh, and that is a, a prefix uh, that is very commonly used uh, in the Bible, uh, in the original languages, uh, for deity. Uh, it's kind of a generic prefix. It didn't always mean God, uh, but it, it does always carry with it this idea of authority and of strength and of majesty. Um, and so we'll see it in a lot of these names we look at, uh, like the El Roy or El Elyon. Uh, you'll see that prefix uh, just and that expresses as kind of like a uh, adjective or descriptive thing that that expresses something about God's authority, His strength, and His majesty. Um, and it is sometimes used uh, to describe um, authority or, or honor or positions among people. It's not the just that L prefix is not always uh, associated with deity. So we've got. The name El Elyon um, is how I'm going to say that. 
But uh, this name denotes the God of Israel as the Most High God. And so uh, let's turn just to where we can kind of see <coughs> where these uh, names are in the Bible. Let's turn to Genesis 14 and we'll read uh, 17 through 20. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. This is uh, right after Abraham goes and rescues Lot. You know, Lot, his nephew, was taken captive, and, and Abraham goes to rescue him <coughs> and comes back with him. And it says, The king, starting in verse 17, The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Cheridoramor and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and of earth. And he blessed and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And so uh, every time we see that phrase uh, there of Melchizedek blessing Abraham, saying God most high, it's this word El Elyon. And, you know, Melchizedek is saying he is the most high God. He's recognizing uh, putting God, you know, where God belongs uh, and distinguishing him from all of the pagan gods of, of that day. Um, and again, that's why Israel could have no other gods before them. That's why uh, God had that in the Ten Commandments. Is he was the supreme God. He is the only God uh, and and the one that they had to stay focused on. And so... Uh, the next name uh, that we're going to look at is El Roy or Roy. Um, and this name denotes the God of heaven as the God who sees. And so if you turn to Genesis chapter 16, you've got the story there of Hagar uh, after Sarah had driven her away. Uh, look in Genesis 16, uh, starting in verse 10. We'll read that just again to kind of see how how this name's used. 16.10, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, uh, you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, and his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Uh, Therefore the well was called Bear Lahoi Roy. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bernad. Uh, and so uh, I had the context of that from. That's when uh, Hagar finds out she's with child. But, but we see there that she's referring to God. The name she gives this God who speaks to her uh, is this El Roy, the God who sees. Because, again, she understands God sees her affliction. Um, and so, you know, just for us to be able to see how these names were used as descriptive names uh, for God. Um, you know, she used that in a way just to denote that, that she realized God was seeing her life uh, and what was going on 
in her life, and that, that still applies for us today. Um, you know, God sees everything we do, the good and the bad, uh, and again, that, that should be a comfort for us, right? Uh, but it also should be uh, something that is a warning for us and something that uh, helps to remind us to uh, live in the way that he wants us to live. <clears throat> Let me keep up. If you look in um, these other verses in Exodus chapter 3, again looking at, at this name, uh, God who sees in Exodus chapter 3 uh, is when... Uh, God is uh, talking about the Israelites when they're still captive in Egypt. And he says, I've seen the oppression of my people. And so again, he's a God who sees. Uh, Psalm 33 talks about uh, the eye of the Lord is upon those that fear him. You know, basically that God is looking down and looking out for uh, those who fear him. uh, Those who are uh, faithful to him and, and trying to do things his ways. The next name is uh, El Shaddai. I'm going to say that one. Um, And this is translated in the English Bible as the Almighty. Uh, And again, all of these names that we're looking at uh, for the most part so far are before the time of the Israelites. They're before when God begins to be called Jehovah. And we're going to look at that in a minute, but this is really the patriarch time. So look at Genesis 17, uh, and we'll look at several examples of this El Shaddai. In Genesis 17, again, every time we see this, it's translated Almighty, and and it was to remind them of who God was. Genesis 17 Uh, verse 1 it says when Abram was 99 years old the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him I am almighty God and so that's that word El Shaddai I am almighty God walk before me and be blameless Uh, then again in verse 8 also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God Uh, so again that word God there is El Shaddai verse 15 God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and I will give, her, give you a son by her, and she shall be a mother of nations and kings and peoples shall be from her. <clears throat> I believe that's the wrong verse right there. Um, look at verse 22. Uh, it says, Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham uh, and again, that word God there is this Almighty uh, is who is being referred to there. Uh, and, and what are all of those verses uh, when they're mentioning God um, and, and using that name El Shaddai, uh, what is the context there? It's God telling Abraham the things he's going to do for him, how he's going to take care of him, supply him with these things, and, and uh, keep the promises that are being made. And so... All of that is is included in the meaning behind that name. Um, Same thing with Joseph. Uh, In the story of Joseph, in Genesis chapter 49, you get towards the end of Jacob's life and the end of the book of Genesis, uh, and you've got Jacob there blessing all of his children. And when he gets to Joseph, um, 
he refers to God using this name El Shaddai. Uh, it says, The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty. Uh, and so there's that word there, the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above and blessings of the deep that lieth underneath, blessings of uh, the breasts and of the womb. And so, again, that carrying with it this idea of being almighty as well as a supplier and sustainer, uh, which God had very much been for Joseph and for Jacob. Okay, another name uh, is Adonai. And this name uh, is means master or lord. Uh, and... So this is one that uh, we actually use or uh, see translated for Christ a lot in the New Testament. Uh, but it's also for God. Uh, if you look in Psalms 110, uh, in verse 1, that's a passage we're, we're all familiar with. It's quoted in the New Testament uh, where the Lord said to my Lord, sit at, sit at my right hand. Uh, and so, make sure I quoted that correctly. So you've got uh, there in that passage this idea of master or Lord. Uh, in Psalms 110 verse 1. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so in that verse, um, you've got Jehovah God speaking to Christ in the Godhead. Uh, and, and you've got uh, Christ again referred to in the New Testament as, as our Lord. Uh, and our master. And, and think about uh, Romans chapter 6. We, we're not going to take the time to read all of these verses, but in Romans chapter 6 is a passage where it talks about, you know, who do we submit ourselves as slaves to obey, right? It's our master, Christ. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what that is saying. And all of those verses it's referring to, we submit ourselves to our master, uh, being Christ and God. They're, they're both uh, used to describe uh, Christ and God. Um, and and it's, it was interesting to me, too, that um, with this idea of master or Lord, it's also sometimes translated as owner. And so when you, when you think of that, it, it makes me think of those passages that describes Christians as servants or slaves of God, which, which we have submitted ourselves to be. Okay, um, the next one, <clears throat> a name used uh, to describe uh, God is rock. And, and this idea of rock, uh, you know, it makes you think of something steadfast or firm, something that can't be moved. And, and what, what is God's nature? But steadfast and firm and unchangeable and and reliable, you know, it's a nature of of, that, of something that cannot be moved. Uh, and I think we can see that uh, David, especially in the Psalms, um, <clears throat> really relied upon that uh, nature of God uh, as a as a shelter, a safe retreat. There in Psalms ninety four, uh, in Psalm sixty one, I wanted to take. Time to read that one. Psalm 61. In thinking about God being described or the, or the word rock used as a name for God uh, and, and what that carries with it. 
Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And so, you know, here uh, it's David referring to God as a rock, uh, as, as a shelter, as a safe haven. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we see Christ basically is that same thing. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and a lot, this was another interesting thing about all of this is a lot of the names that we see used to describe God, uh, we see them also used uh, to describe Christ are kind of fulfilled through Christ. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of correlations there. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, uh, we've got there Christ being referred to as, as the rock. 1 Corinthians 10 and chapter 4. I'm picking up in the middle of, of some context there, but it says, And all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so... You know, you, you can see God uh, described as a rock in the Old Testament, and, and we see Christ also uh, described as a rock there in the New Testament. Okay. Um, another name that is used for God, or, and we see this quite a bit, uh, is Father. And, you know, what does father carry with it? The idea of father or the name father has this idea of, of a, not only a begetter or a creator, right, uh, but also a sustainer and an upholder and a nourisher and protector, um, which is very similar to the, the El Shaddai name that we looked at already. Um, that's how God wanted Israel to know him as their father. Uh, we see that over and over again. He was going to be a father to them. They were going to be his children. And uh, for us today in the New Testament, it's the same, right? Uh, we're referred to as God's children. Uh, you know, we call him our father oftentimes in our prayers. Uh, and <clears throat> we also see uh, that in Jesus, he came to show us who the father was. And so... He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so this correlation again between God and his Son um, is uh, pretty striking to me how they are, are so linked together. And really is, Jesus, if, you, if we see who Jesus is, and that is a picture of who God is. Uh, and not, not just a blurry picture. It's Jesus showing us who the Father is. Well, we'll skip through those verses just to, in, the, in the sake of time. Okay, so uh, Jehovah, that's another name that we, we see a lot in the Old Testament. And this was a special name just for who? It was just for the Israelites, right? It was a, it was a name uh, that, that is used to describe God, uh, used more than any other name uh, to for God in the Old Testament. Um, and it, it carries with it 
several different meanings. And, and as we think about this, think about <clears throat> that it was their covenant name, right? That It was the name that the Israelites referred to uh, to God, and, and it carried with it this idea of the covenant they had entered into with God. Um, let's read in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verses 2 through 4. Exodus 6, starting in verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. And so we, we talked about that name already, God Almighty. But now my name is Lord. And, and right there is where that would be translated Jehovah. I was not known to them. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And so, you know, basically in those passages, God is is telling them, you know, the patriarchs knew me as God Almighty, but under this covenant that I'm making with this people, they're going to know me as Jehovah. That's the name uh, that they're going to know me as. And... <coughs> uh, some of the meanings that go along with uh, Jehovah, besides this being his covenant name. Um, think about what God calls himself, right? Uh, when Moses says, well, who do I tell him is sending me? You know, what is your name? Well, what does he first tell you? He says, I am who I am. Uh, and, and so when God says that, what does that imply? Uh, it, it implies uh, that, that he is the one who exists really only because of himself. He's the cause of all existence. He's the, the creator. He's the one that uh, supplies everyone. Um, and, and so when you think about that, that's, that's really saying that uh, he doesn't go, and, and we shouldn't either. We don't look to other things to define who God is. Uh, you look at what God says about himself, and that's how we know things about him. Uh, and... Uh, one of the things uh, there in Malachi chapter 3 that he says about himself is he is uh, the immutable one. There's no change in the nature of him. He doesn't change who he is throughout time. He's the same God uh, today that he was back then. And so, again, you have to look at what God says about himself to know those things and not just ascribe things uh, to him uh, that we come up with. Uh, more about uh, Jehovah. <clears throat> we already talked about that first point, about this being uh, their covenant name, uh, and, and that that name would remind them every time they said Jehovah, uh, it, they should have been reminded of the covenant. Um, if you look in... Uh, looking at some correlations again about Jesus, if you look at John chapter 8 and verse 58 um, Jesus claims that same title of I am which was you know that's when you think about it that's surprising but in a sense because you know we see Jesus putting himself in this submissive role to God and fulfilling God's will but yet in John 8:58 he shows by claiming that name I am he really shows that he's part of the Godhead um, <clears throat> and and you could tie that, look at Matthew 26, 28. Uh, there's some correlations there. 
that could be tied to the new covenant, thinking about uh, God using that name for himself with the Israelites and the old covenant, and then Jesus using that name for himself uh, with us as Christians under the new covenant. Matthew 26 and 28. And that's, that's in the, the context of the, the Lord's Supper uh, and talking about the New Covenant. For this is my blood of the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Look the Hebrews passage is the one I needed to read there. Let me flip there. Okay, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, again, this this idea of, of the new covenant uh, and Jesus calling himself I am there in John chapter 8 uh, and... and uh, that that was a name God used for Himself under the old covenant, and so it's it's all tied together. <clears throat> okay, so we've got uh, several more names uh, that are really compound names uh, that the Israelites would have used in the Old Testament to to really just describe and further describe God's nature and what he was able to do for them. Uh, and some of these things came out of events, things that God did for them, uh, things that happened to them, uh, and other, th- other parts of these names have to just simply do with his character. Um, got Jehovah Jireh uh, means Jehovah will provide. Um, and so... Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said that day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That's in Genesis chapter 22, um, and that's when he was sacrificing Isaac, and the Lord uh, stayed his hand from doing that and turned around and supplied a sacrifice for him. And that was the name Abraham uh, gave to that place and, and also to God, Jehovah-Jireh. Because God supplied. Um, same thing in the New Testament. What has God provided for us but the sacrifice? And John chapter 1 and verse 29 and in Philippians 4.19, both of those passages, passages talk about that God has supplied uh, this sacrifice for us. <clears throat> I don't even know how to say that T word. Jehovah Tzidkina. Uh, is Jehovah our righteousness. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, Jehovah was the source of righteousness. He showed them what was righteous. He, he told them how to live a righteous way. Um, and today, for us as Christians, Christ is our righteousness. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 21, our righteousness only can come through Christ, right? Through our faith in him. There's, we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. We can't be righteous by ourselves. It comes only through Christ, uh, only through that sacrifice that he's given us uh, and, and our faith in him. And so 
you know, again, uh, this same concept that we see in the Old Testament about Jehovah God being righteousness is shown in the New Testament with, with God's Son uh, and the righteousness we have through our faith in Him. Uh, Jehovah M. Kadesh is Jehovah who sanctifies. And this, you know, we see this throughout the Old Testament as a God who sanctifies. What were the Israelites supposed to be as a people? They were supposed to be set apart. He sanctified them to be his people, uh, to be a holy people, you know, through the law and, and all of those things associated with the law. And and that's a, you know, that was highly stressed throughout the, the law of Moses. Uh, and for us as Christians today, it's the same way. And so yet another correlation that we're sanctified today through Christ's blood. Uh, and we're still required to be holy just as he was holy. That passage there in First Peter uh, that we feel like we read that fairly often. First <clears throat> Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether as king, as supreme, or governors. It's supposed to be Second Peter, I'm sorry. Uh, that's the wrong passage. I did not catch that. Hold on just a second. First Peter one thirteen. I was in the wrong spot. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so, you know, as for us as New Testament Christians, it's, it's really this same idea of sanctification and, and separation and, and holiness uh, that, that is required of us, uh, just how it was required under the law of Moses. We've got Jehovah Shalom. Uh, Jehovah is our peace, is is what that name means. Uh, And it's the basic idea of this harmony of relationship that's been established uh, by a debt being paid. And so there was a a debt paid for us. If we think about the correlation with Jesus and for us today, uh, Jesus is called... The Prince of Peace, just as Jehovah uh, Shalom meant that Jehovah is our peace. In the New Testament, we see Jesus called the Prince of Peace. And it's because he paid this debt for us. The, the debt has been paid. Uh, Jehovah Rohi is, uh, Jehovah is my shepherd. And think of Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That is, Jehovah is my shepherd. Uh, and Jesus describes himself in the New Testament as the chief shepherd or the great shepherd uh, in several different passages. And so, again, over and over again, you've got these correlations, and that was something that jumps out at me uh, uh, and really shows, uh, the uh, shines a light on the importance of Jesus and, and how, um, how much he is uh, the, the same as God. When we see him, we're seeing God, uh, just like he says. 
Uh, Jehovah Shammah means Jehovah is there. Uh, Shammah conveyed um, this truth to Israel that the, the presence and glory of God was there among them. Uh, you know, he was dwelling with them there in the tabernacle, uh, there in the, in the temple. It was this idea of God is dwelling with them. And, <clears throat> you know, again, with Jesus, we see that uh, Jesus, uh, that being said about Jesus at the beginning of the book of John, uh, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, uh, yet another correlation. Jehovah Nissi is Jehovah is my banner. Uh, and this is the idea, and I think we may not think about this, being that we're not you know, under a kingship and, and fighting under a kingship as much, uh, but, but we do have a flag in our country, and that's our banner. Uh, and, and when we're marching under that flag, we're marching under that as Americans, right? And so for us as Christians, we're under the banner of God, the banner of Jehovah. Um, and, and that's, you know, you've got these verses that speak to us uh, as Christians being compared to being soldiers of God. Uh, and, you know, you, all the things that go along with that are uh, described and, and, and we talk about those from time to time. But it, it's really this idea of, of He is our banner, that's who we're under, that's who we represent uh, in our lives. And so uh, as soldiers of His, we have to live in a way that, uh, you know, is in accordance with what He expects us to be. Uh, Jehovah Rophe is Jehovah Heals. Um, and I think we can understand through the various illustrations in the Bible that this is uh, physically and also spiritually. And and we, as New Testament Christians, have that uh, same advantage through Christ. Uh, going to God in prayer for help with physical ailments uh, as well as the spiritual healing that we get uh, through His blood. <coughs> Got Jehovah Kana is Jehovah is jealous. Um, that word kana is part of the definition of that. deals with being jealous. Uh, and, and really when you think about God being a jealous God, part of what goes with that is, is this idea of zeal for his people and, and him not wanting his people being involved uh, with anything besides him, right? Uh, and, and that was uh, one of the... Parts of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Thou shalt worship no other God, uh, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Uh, and, you know, that, that still applies for us as New Testament Christians today. <coughs> being um, Him being jealous of us or for us. Uh, and He expects us to be uh, jealous for Him and zealous for righteousness. Okay, we've got, I think there's just a few more of these. Uh, Jehovah Seboeth is Jehovah of hosts or Lord of hosts. Um, <clears throat> we see that occasionally in the Bible. I, I, I believe we even sing a song or two that refer, refers to him as the Lord of hosts. Um, and that basically just means he's the Lord over everything. Um, he has the power over everything. And uh, Jesus tells us, uh, in the New Testament, we're told that he has been given authority over everything uh, that is created in heaven and in earth. All right.
in the New Testament, there, there are mainly three words used um, for God. You've got this theos, uh, which is the most common word translated as God. Um, it, it's, every time you see theos, it's talking about a God, not necessarily always the God. Uh, not necessarily always Jehovah God. Sometimes Theos is used to describe a, a false god or some other uh, heathen deity. Kurios uh, ex- expresses Je- the Jehovah of the Old Testament and, again, carries with it the same meanings that Jehovah, the, the name Jehovah in the Old Testament carried with it, this idea of Lord and ruler and possessor, uh, the mighty one who has all of the authority and power. Uh, and <clears throat> as you would expect, uh, Christ is called Lord, this curios, uh, a lot of times in the New Testament. When, he, when he's called Lord, that, that's the meanings behind that name. Uh, is showing uh, his place and all that as Lord and ruler. Pater, Pater is the Greek name for father in the New Testament. Uh, and, and so just as we talked about, you know, we still call God our Father uh, today and refer to him as that. Uh, and that's this word, uh, pater. Um, and again, think about what Jesus says about how he came to show us who the Father was and that if we, we look at Jesus, we can see uh, the Father through him. So <clears throat> we've got all these names. Um and the, and I know I flew through them just because I knew it was a lot to get through. But uh, what do they all do? They help describe uh, things about God, about His nature. Uh, they show us that He's the one that has all power. He's the one who sees everything. Uh, it describes to us uh, things He can do, uh, the healing that comes physically and spiritually through Him, His holiness and His righteousness. Um shows him as being a shepherd and, and again correlates to Jesus who calls himself our shepherd. Um, and, and we see some more things are talked about uh, being under his banner and how he is a jealous God and, and how we are to be zealous for righteousness. And, you know, the, a lot of that was Old Testament stuff, but, but it's again the same God in the New Testament and it's the one, the God who doesn't change. And so it's all of these... Uh, same things uh, that that go with his names in the Old Testament apply to him uh, today in the New Testament. And one of the names that we talked about early in the lesson uh, was this idea of Savior, and that we see uh, when Jesus's uh, name is given. You know, when the angels talking to Joseph and Mary, and they say, "Call his name Jesus." because he will be the savior of, of the people of earth. You know, that's really what I wanted to end the lesson on uh, and think about that he is our savior. All of the things we've talked about, about the character of God and Christ uh, and, and how Christians are expected to live, you know, all of that really starts with uh, becoming a Christian. And, and we're told in the New Testament how to do that. Um, we're, we're shown the promises and blessings that come with that. And certainly anyone who's here who is not a Christian, you know, we invite you to become one. But 
You know, I believe uh, just about everyone here this morning is, and so for us as Christians, <clears throat> this idea of righteousness is, is what really comes into play. After we have become a Christian, uh, we're expected to live righteous lives. And, and sometimes we fail at that, and, and uh, fortunately He's provided forgiveness for that through His blood, and, and we always offer the opportunity to anyone who uh, maybe has fallen into sin or uh, who is struggling with something to let that be known, and, and us as uh, fellow Christians here can pray with you uh, and help you with that in any way that we can as we stand and sing. <clears throat>